This week, we head to London to link with our guy Scully and talk about No Signal Radio, the global black radio phenomenon that's taken over the culture. He lets us in on the story behind NS10V10 and why the culture of black London is so unique in the diaspora. Let's travel and turn up. Hey. Hey. Yo. What's good, fam? Looking for the perfect travel podcast? We We got got you. you. We're travel entrepreneurs that have been to every inch of the globe. Representing the U.S., the U.K., the Caribbean, and Africa, we cover the entire diaspora. So check us out at TravelAndTurnUp.com. Come travel with us every week, link with the diaspora, and become a better, more informed traveler. Alright, boom. So, as you guys know, we love entrepreneurs and experts on this podcast. And Scully, here representing London, well, South London, is is both. And we love having him on, um, repping from the NS10 V10, no signal. So, welcome, Scully. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank thank you very much for that big intro. Um, Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you guys for asking me to be here. It's well, love, bro. It's love. It's love. So for those in the audience that may be in the States or in Canada or in Latin America that aren't familiar with No Signal, No Signal is an online radio station. I, I think it was started during the COVID period. That's when I found out about it. But it's definitely carried me throughout this entire COVID period. So, you know, go to the all you got to do is go to the website, hit play literally, and you can listen live. And it's like it's it's official. It's on point. Like, I love everything about what you guys are doing. And it's crazy because like, um, what's the story behind it? Like, like, how did you even decide to start this? Cause it's, to me, it's, ta- it's taken over the culture, honestly, globally. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, yeah, there's no signal.com by the way is where you can go listen to us. And, um, no signal started based off my friend, Jojo and his brother, David, they got a company called, uh, recess or an events company called recess. So recess is like a party in London and it basically existed because jojo and david wanted a safe space for black people to enjoy going out and clubbing but like hear music that they like so these clubs that are like filled with uh people like dressed in a certain way and you still have to go through the rigmarole of uk racism and the main difference between uk racism and us racism is because you guys like kind of had your civil rights movement there like in the 60s whatever like I feel like US racists are very open about being racist and like, yeah, I'm racist. What? And you know what? Yeah, I prefer that. Be racist <laughs> with your chest, innit? Like, tell me you're racist to your to my face, innit? But UK racism is very like it's very nuanced, it's very subtle. It's like our humor, innit? It's dry, it's sarcastic, <laughs> like it's just like it's a bit more undercover and you can feel it on nights when you go clubbing and stuff like that, and the way that certain songs play and the way certain people look at you, all of this stuff. So Jojo and David wanted to create a night where you could just go and enjoy and feel happy with your friends without kind of feeling like, you know, maybe people are looking at you because of the way you're dancing or, you know, you want to hear a certain song, which somebody might call a quote unquote black classic. Like, like for example, Swag Surf, yeah. If you go to a, a black night out, yeah, Swag Surf plays out, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's legendary. Yeah. If you go to like a mainstream, like, and I don't want to say a white night out, but like just a, a night that's not tailored for black people play swag stuff like it's it's not happening like nothing's happening there's no reaction (laughs) like people just gonna be like what's this tune you get what i'm saying so they wanted to foster space like this and long story short recess radio was like made to sometimes stream the recess parties which were great and then to throw one-off shows so we did a couple political one-off shows called face the facts where me jojo and a few other guests would talk about like elections coming up and like policy reform and all of this stuff but it was all one-off stuff and when I was leaving my job at the BBC at the end of last year, I did another face to facts with Jojo around election time and Brexit and that. And I said, yo, I'm leaving my job. I'm going to be doing more presenting, but um, obviously I know how to produce radio. So I'll jump on board and I will like, you know, come and um, help, help produce some more stuff for recess radio. Like we can do more with this. Let's make it a bigger thing. And we're like, yeah, cool. And we kind of just, that was like November, right? So we like kind of just walked off and left it there and didn't think any more of it. Beginning of the year, he changed the name to No Signal, kind of spruced up the site, but again, we weren't really thinking too much about it. About March, April time, uh, we were like, cool. Jojo was like, I'm going to start putting more shows on No Signal just because, you know, 
I just want to try out more shows and just see what's going on. And obviously with Corona coming, people have more time to listen to it. Uh, a friend of ours, Bola, made a tweet because obviously Versus had started. So the week Versus had started. Uh, and shout outs to Versus and what they're doing. Obviously, we respect them a lot. Legendary stuff. Uh, they, yeah, when Versus started, Bola made a tweet and he said, yo, 10 for 10, who can beat 50 Cent? Like, mm. I don't think anyone can beat 50 Cent in a 10 song clash. And I remember replying and being like, Bola, you're chatting worse. <laughs> yeah, like, because like, I love 50 yeah. Cent. I love 50 Cent, yeah, but like, really, <laughs> listen, no say a 10 song battle, what you're saying is, yeah, that's what he said. And I said, I said, I said, that's worse because if you say that, what you're really saying is nobody can be, uh, get rich or die trying. Right. Song for song <laughs> right. Like that. That's actually what you're saying. Because right, right. realistically, 50 only has one undisputable yeah. rap classic. He obviously has other great albums that's and there's true. another album, album that's called Classic. True. I'd say Curtis is amazing. No, I, I'm saying, I'm saying he has other classics. I'm saying he only has one indisputable. Yeah. That, like you can play every record off there and win 10 for 10, right? Right. I'm with so you. I think, I'm with you. So, so I was like arguing with him about that and throwing up rappers who I think have got, you could get a better 10 and all of this. And Jojo must have saw it. Like people started joining in because it's Twitter and it became a big talking point. And Jojo was like, yo, this can make a good, good radio show. Like we could do something that like, almost out of versus doing, but it'll be more fun because it'll be fans. Right. And, like, it'll be based on selection right. and we can do radio and that, right? So we 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 basically did it for ourselves for fun, and the first one was Jay Z Kanye. I remember finished because I'm a freelance radio producer as well. I finished the shift at the BBC uh, at like six or seven p.m. and I had my MacBook with me. I went downstairs and in the lobby, I was producing one of the first episodes of Ten v Ten like on my laptop straight after work. Mad. And it was like to like ninety to hundred listeners. Like it was no big deal. We're like, oh, we're just gonna do this for our friends. It'll be fun. Now, the first time we realized it was going to be mad, like a mad, mad, mad thing, was when we did, I want to say, Nikki and Kim. Like, we did loads of fun ones, like, fun ones, like Future and Fog was fun for us. And, like, I think we did Uzi Kai and, like, all these other ones that were fun. But, like, Nikki versus Kim was when the barbs got involved and people started <laughs> looking and they're, like, poking their head over, like, yo, what's this? This, this, this looks proper interesting, you know, like. Like, I think the Kim the Kim fans came to like no the Nikki fans sorry came to cuss Kim and like to skew the votes. But as they were locking in, they must have just been like, yo, this is actually kind of a vibe. Right? It's kind of wavy. And then the next one we did was J Huss versus Kojo Funds. And that how would you David, how would you describe that in American rapper terms? Oh well, I mean, Ooh, I I, I yes. can do that. I could do that. I can do that because um, obviously I knew Jay Huss because you know, and I've been bumping his album last year, which to me is a classic. I, I mm-hmm. love that album last year. Yep. And yep. then Kojo Funds, I was just getting into, and it's funny you say that because the week of the Jay Huss versus Kojo Funds, David had used Kojo Funds as one of his big tunes for one of our episodes that we'd okay. outro. So I just started getting into it. And, yeah. you know, coming from that Afrobeats angle, he had that song with WizKid. So I was, like, just getting into it. So I remember I watched, I didn't watch that 10v10 live, but I picked it up off your SoundCloud. So I picked it up. I was okay. like, oh, this is actually kind of fire. And the next, I don't know if it was the next one, but it came on my, like, timeline was Burner versus Popcorn. Did I say that right, Tiffany? Mm-hmm. Tiffany always makes fun of the way I say Popcorn. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> like, not. So you definitely did not. Go ahead, proceed. See? There we go. <laughs> anyway, so that was the one I saw. And, bro, from there, I was locked in. I spread that to all my group chats, all my Nige fam here. I was like, yo, y'all got to listen no. to this. This is Because like, just like you said, the fact that it's fans doing it makes it more fire. You know what I'm saying? Because, like, artists, sometimes they hold back. You know what I mean? They don't, you know, they're awkward with how they interact with each other. But fans can go full tilt. You know what I mean? You can talk all the trash you want. You can go heavy with it. You know what I mean? You can take it the tunes in different places. Like, but yeah, cheated. man. So, like, this is it. go ahead. Go ahead, Tiffany. This is it. No, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm still lost. I want David to give me two examples of who this matchup will be or the matchup will be <laughs> with American artists because I have no idea who you guys are talking about at all. I have I'm no think, idea. Because they're like cultural legends. Those are people from, yeah, from here. They really beef. Yeah, Jay Huss and Kojo really, really beef. I mean, a good example of how long standing their beef is and like how deep it goes is probably 50 and Ja Rule mm. is, a, is a good example. Yeah. But like, yeah, like, like, 
Jayhouse and Kojo are from like neighboring boroughs and like they, they had a long storied beef and it was like one of those where no one would expect to see them on a song together, right? And then what made it amazing was before we did the 10v10, they both like gave indication that they were locked in and they thought it was a, like yeah. interesting and all of this stuff. And like, I think we hit like, I don't know how many thousand listeners, maybe 10, maybe 20. Like that was a big one. That was the first one we trended in the UK. And everybody was surprised because obviously J House has two arguably classic albums, right? And Kojo has a lot of music out, but no like real album. So people were like, oh, how's he going to clash Haas? But what people forget about this, this game is that it's 10 songs for 10 songs. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter how many albums you, you can, you can pick someone with 50 albums and they're all classic and you can pick them against somebody who has 20 songs. But if all those 20 songs are fantastic, that person has a chance of winning. So. Kojo won and it was like kind of like the first upset and every time we have a mad upset everyone's like wow like what happened there like mm. it's crazy so we blew off that there was Mariah Carey versus Beyonce Mariah won which again was a massive upset <laughs> and like the hive tuned in but also so did the lambs <laughs> Mariah fan that one was she true. charted in the UK yeah she charted in the UK which was crazy and then yeah like you're saying Burner Boy versus Popcorn Burner Boy and Popcorn were both locked in listening to me present like from my mum's house, which was crazy. <laughs> and like, like Burner Boy was like tweeting. He sent us a voice note. Like, it was crazy. It was so crazy. So that kind of hyped everyone up. We must have hit like 30, 40, maybe 50,000 listeners that time. That was, that felt crazy. But what made it matter is that Burner Boy put it on his Instagram. It was his most watched Instagram TV. And then everybody was rushing because because Popcorn lost, yeah. And um people tried to make it diaspora war. We don't make it diaspora war. Like I'm East African, right? Mm. So I don't have I don't have a horse in this battle, like <laughs> this West Africa a West African uh artist versus a uh West Indian artist, right? But people try and make it diaspora war. So they're like, oh well, you know, Burner Boy won, so we all need to go out and rep vibes and whiz on the Sunday and like all the Vibes Cartel fans were coming out, but then Whiskey FC found us. And, you know, we got, we got like probably like 80,000 followers in Twitter in like two days. Everybody was blogging about it. And like, so that night, Whiskey versus Vibe, we got 1.5 million listeners. Wow. That's crazy. That's that is wow. People tune in from all over the world at this, at this stage. And it's every time I'm shocked, I'm like, rah, like, I'll be shouting and listening. I'll be like, rah, Somali land. Like, yo, we got listeners in Finland. What what kind? How many countries was it? It doesn't even say. I've got a little. I've got a little poster with loads of facts about it, but it doesn't say how many countries in the world. But yeah, we were number one trending topic in the UK. We were like number two in the world or something like that. No, number one in the world, I think. Um, and it's just got so big. Like when we did Drake and Rihanna, I was a number. My, me, my name was the number three traded trending topic in the world my name scully i was like yo people love drake they take it proper <laughs> serious nah, people do love drake i like drake too though, so i'm just like i'm <laughs> nah, born yeah. right now because there's also like versus as well like they do some stuff but i think on top of the fan thing i think one of the things i love about it as well is also that it feels like we're exporting part of like british culture as well the fact that you know there's a lot of uk people on there and in terms of whether it's the opinions, whether it's some of the artists that, that are featured, a lot of that really kind of shares and exports our culture. And, and even some of the guests that you have on are able to touch on aspects of that. So I wanted to ask as well, what you think makes black culture in London or in the UK in general so unique? I think, okay, so what makes black culture in London so unique is the different elements of blackness we have, right? So we're so multi-layered, but we're so interconnected. So you can be black and, um, you can be black and super British. Like maybe you're West Indian and you, your family's been here like four, five generations, right? Like you could be super British and you can enjoy the pub and like, you know, your granddad was supported this football team and you've been going to watch it for ages. You can be black and be a second generation immigrant and you could be, let's say Nigerian and you can, put Yoruba into your like into your speech patterns and you can be black and Muslim but because we're all tied by our blackness especially in London all those cu- cultures overlap 
So like even me, like I'll use certain words like Aki and Ukti. Yeah. And I'll um obviously use I you obviously use loads of West Indian like dialect and slang and all of this shit. All of we have so much awareness and we're so multicultural, especially outside of blackness, even just the ethnicities that are around us, like people like Moroccan people and like um the Asian people, like when you look at East London and Tower Hamlets and all of this, that like, we have so much knowledge of culture because we tie so many of them together and i think this means we're able to understand because obviously america's version of blackness was pushed on us when we didn't have such a loud black british voice when we were growing up so we understand that culture as well and obviously through the west indian connection we have a big tie to places like canada so for this reason we can talk to so many different types of black cultures in the world we can even talk to like francophone countries because we've got congolese friends and you know uh angolan friends who speak other languages and we've got like um sierra leonean friends and friends from ivory coast like all these cultures that are permeated around the world we feel like we can talk to even like when we talk about francophone countries their love of football and like the sounds that they like it all just interlinks so we're probably brought up in a place that means we can speak to a lot of the black community in the world the whole black diaspora just because of the intensity of our upbringing and what that means in our place in society while at the same time being able to translate to the british people here and that's crazy that's love you know the the interesting thing is uh g-day is a big fan of your radio station <laughs> to be honest he's always on our group chat yo check out no signal no signal and i'm like yeah yeah whatever like i don't i don't believe you really and and truly and then one day he was like you have to they're playing reggae now and i'm like oh they're gonna be playing some light work like uh shaggy or something like that like i hate i don't want to hear it so i'm like well, <laughs> wow <laughs> Shaggy, no, you know, all respect to Shaggy, all respect to Shaggy, but you know, he's a legend, like, but come on, respect to him. He's a legend, but I don't, I, I don't want to hear 10 Shaggy songs back to back. So I was, <laughs> um, when I, when I logged on, I was like, yo, G-Day. I think, <laughs> yeah, like I was saying, it's important to be able to talk to all these other diaspora countries, because essentially, Although we're elevating the black British voice and that comes primarily, we are doing this for diaspora kids because diaspora kids around the world have something that unifies us, which is why it's so easy for this to be understood by so many different types of people. Yeah, I love that. I love that. One thing I wanted to ask about as well, or at least touch on, is kind of the wider cultural impact, or at least, you know, the fact that you're kind of branching out of you know not just music but also into other aspects of the culture so one in terms of the type of guests that you have so you've had like footballers on um even like at one point you had like Oloni mm. giving advice um you've been covering the BLM protests mm-hmm. you know like what why has it been important to you to be branching out into all those other aspects of the culture as well no signal is bigger than ns10 v10 no signal is a whole radio station it's a black owned radio station for black people like i said Mm. the black diaspora across the world and uh, we want to represent that so our voice is not just going to be about ns10 v10 it's going to be about stuff like you said face the facts where we stream live from the black lives matter protest it's going to be about stuff like um only giving advice and having that like you know agony arm feel like how often do we have that from a black perspective? Like we have it in real life. Like everybody has that aunt or that grandma, or like in their in their ends, like or in America's case, on your block, who's like you know has all the gossip. You know, will make your tea. Maybe she's smoking. She'll chat to you. She'll be like, you know, you you know, you know that person in it. Like, why is that not mm. like pushed in our media? Like, mm-hmm. we can tell so many more stories that are beyond black trauma and black pain, and we have them. And who else is better navigated to to lay out those narratives than people who come from within it? It's not just about talking about black pain and the struggle that we have. It's not another hood movie. It's not another slave movie. Like, like we can do all of these things in media. It's not another just a rap show. Like, there's bare stuff we can and will do. And no signal exists as a radio station to show the breadth of the black experience. Like, I don't want to. I don't want us to make 
stereotypical media for the rest of our lives as black people i'm saying that for black people across the board i want us to like why can't we have like a coming of age like comedy show like everything has to be like struggle struggle life is hard like bro yeah life is hard yeah but there's also sweet moments like why can't we talk about these sweet moments why can't we talk about how we feel politically without having to pander to a larger audience that is not trying to accept us anyway like why can't we just tell our story and our story exists and that's why i'm grateful things like insecure and uh atlanta with donald glover and like here in the uk chewing gum with michaela cole and like we're beginning to get there step by step in tv and film but we need it across all forms of media and no signal is going to be a company that kind of bridges that yeah, I love that, man. Definitely. You know, when we were first, when you first, we were speaking a little bit beforehand, before we started recording, and you mentioned that um, you're Ugandan, you know, your parents are from Uganda, and you mentioned, I think, your last visit. We we spoke about politics. We spoke about music. Um, let's speak a little bit about travel. Um, how often do you go home to Uganda? And tell us a little bit more about that. So, I yeah, I love going to Uganda. I love going to Uganda, and um, I do feel like it's home. But as a second generation immigrant, as a diaspora child, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like. We are blessed and we're cursed because we're blessed because we've got two homes, but we're also cursed because neither of them are home, right? Mm -hmm. So when I'm in Uganda, I'm a British kid, but when I'm in Britain, I'm a Ugandan kid. Mm -hmm. like, you're, you're neither and you're both. So it's like, yeah, I consider it home the same way I consider Britain home, but the honest truth is we'll never truly be at home either. <laughs> like, like I said, when I go to Uganda, they're like, oh, it's your, it's your English cousin. Like, there's stuff I do like even in the way that I pronounce words when I speak Luganda like in the way that I like certain things and things I don't like to eat and all of this stuff like I'm westernized in my Ugandan approach right but in my in my British approach I'm Africanized so it's a whole heap of mess but I do love it and in a perfect ideal world I'd obviously spend 50% of my time here 50% of my time there but yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. I just, I just love it. It invokes a, a great feeling in me. I love visiting. It has to be a big part of my life, 100%. Um, as David just pointed out, you're in the UK right now. As you know, there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. Um, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement is taking over the world. I was actually just watching um, some Premier League just now. I saw all the, all the players had the Black Lives Matters on the back of their jerseys. So that's beautiful. You know, mm -hmm. us in the US, we love to see it. Um, so I guess my first question for you then is in London is, um, you know, uh, what's the scene right now? What's going on with the, with the movement, uh, with our people in the UK and, uh, why do you think like this generation, you know, why have we embraced it so strongly? There, I think that across the world, yeah, there is remnants of the way black people have been treated for hundreds of years due to racism. And that extends from all the way from the Far East, Asia to the West and including Africa in itself and that how it's dealing with colonialism. And I feel like the murder of George Floyd was not the straw that broke the camel's back, but it was the moment where the world had said, hey, this, this stallion that had built the civilization said, I'm tired of you throwing rocks at me and I need to stand up and tell you to stop doing this. I need to kick off. And I think that what is going on around the world right now is, uh, it's, it's built up pent up frustrations from generations of trauma from black people across the world who've been looking and said, Hey, do you know what? This actually isn't enough. So we see what's going on with police brutality in America. Um, not only do we stand in solidarity with you, but we also see that actually we have a lot of issues going on here within the UK and our own race issues. And like I say, even in Africa, we, we're still dealing with the effects of colonialism. All across the world, we're seeing how poorly we're treated. And we think, okay, cool. There is no better time than for us to all stand in unity and decide that this is wrong. Enough is enough. And let's make change. You mentioned a, generational... Go ahead. Finish, finish your thoughts, Kali. 
No, I was just going to say that's um that's kind of where we got to. That's how I feel like. I think it's great that the whole world is united, that this is the greatest or biggest rather civil rights movement that we've seen. Like the amount of countries that are standing up and making this noise and making their voices heard. And I pray that it be, it continues being a part of the change that means eventually our great-grandchildren or great-great-grandchildren live in a world where they're actually treated for, you know, like who they are as a person, as opposed to like, you know, as opposed to what the world is doing to them and, and like the color of their skin. No, I definitely hear that. Okay. You said a few buzzwords because you mentioned, you mentioned generational trauma you mentioned that this is another civil rights movement that we can see before our eyes. And um, you mentioned colonialism a few times. So the change that we need to make happen so that our children and our grandchildren can see it, what do you think are the next steps is going to require? And not only in the States, but maybe in London or also in Africa as well. I mean, I don't want to just talk about the states in the UK. I want to talk about what needs to be done for black people across the world. And there's disparities that we need to end. And I think the first, I think there's three main steps that need to happen right now. And the first one is a commitment to ending all racial bias and discrimination in the justice system, all justice systems. Because across the world, it's plain to see that black people are the worst affected by the law and the justice system or the so-called justice system. And we reap the worst consequences for the most minor crimes where, you know, like stuff here in the UK. Yeah. There was a, there was a guy last year who went to private school, was going to like an Ox, either Oxford or Cambridge, uh, which is like obviously our most prestigious unis. And, um, but he was also part of like a gang. A, a white kid and he stabbed his muslim friend in the heart the guy died the white kid got six months in jail and is now free what he's, so he's, he's free to walk about today right he was part of a gang and he was selling drugs now if i went outside and i got caught with like half an ounce of weed on me i promise you i'm getting more than six months in jail for sure that's that is somebody who's killed someone so like that clear disparity in justice like there's other cases wh where again uh a white student female student who was going to i believe it was cambridge i want to say uh she was studying to be a doctor she got caught selling cocaine and uh she'd stabbed her boyfriend i believe it was yes i, remember I think she got let off completely yeah because the judge said she had so much potential as like you know doing good things for society I promise yeah. you, I can't stab anyone and get let off. Like it's, it's, it's not happening. But well, what did he base her having potential on? on? Yeah, what was that based on? She has potential I think she based was on a law what? student or something. The fact that she yeah. went to university, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's either a law student or a okay, medical so. student, like one or the other. That's crazy. So if I was in uni, yeah, and I stabbed someone, it doesn't matter how much potential my teachers and my lecturers say I have. I'm going to jail. We know there's disparities in the criminal justice system. So it's either whatever it is, we need to end those disparities. And I'm not asking for a totalitarian, you know, system. Well, everyone who stabs someone gets 10 years and that's that. I think we either are more case by case and understand the reasons why people go into crime or we kind of, I think when people say defund the police, I think we misunderstand that that's not about getting rid of police. It means taking out the budget and funding other things that will help society more, such as, you know, like, uh, funding social care social care and social work in the uk and the us or like healthcare measures or you know youth clubs and community initiatives which look after the youth and would keep them away from the things that kind of keep them going towards crime i think that is the first most important step and with that attitude, like if we defund some of the police on the street and then actually, cause you know, it takes like, I had to take something like 10 weeks to become a police officer in the U S is that true? Yeah, it is. This especially depending on where you are, but yeah, for sure. It definitely is in some places. 10 weeks. Right, cool. I've gone to see my grandma for longer than 10 weeks in Uganda. 
you're telling me in that time I could become a registered police officer. Mm. That's insane. That should be a course that is a year or two. Like it should be a uni's, like a university course worth full of education on how to de-escalate conflict, how to deal with certain situations, how to not be racist. Actually, it would be great if that was on the course, and how to like you know get rid of your unconscious bias so you don't treat people differently because of the color of their skin. The second step, I think, has to be education and learning and unrelearning. So I think a large issue is I don't believe a lot of white people know what racism is. And not just white people, but non-black people. And just even black people themselves. Like, people across the world don't know what racism is. So, like, a lot of people think racism is just visceral. Oh, well, I called him an N-word or I have a problem with him because he's black. Like, they think that's what racism is. And that's not true. It's so nuanced. There's so many different forms. It's as simple as like, if I go and meet a collection of white friends, yeah, who are friends with another one of my friends, and all evening they've been like, oh, you're right, mate. Yeah, how you doing? Yeah. And then I come along, they're like, oh, well, go on, fam. Like, that in itself is an element of racism. And you haven't realized what's going on. Like, you don't, haven't realized why that's racist. We need to educate and inform the world and the best way of doing that is changing the curriculum and reforming our own education system do things like input black history so like people know about stuff like so for example i've got friends who had no idea about black wall street mm. or something like mansa musa or king mm. mansa musa or you know stuff like i don't even know like just like the amount of kings and queens and and just greatness stuff like Hannibal like if Hannibal beat the Romans yeah if he's the reasons why the Roman Empire like fell and he was such a great emperor himself why do we not learn about him on the same scale that we learn about the Romans because mm. technically if you think about it this guy was greater than the Romans he he beat them yeah. and in a way more epic way he marched with these elephants across a mountain to defeat their army but we we learn nothing about him but we depend on Romans to guide us through our religion and also our history books, but continue. I'm sorry, that's, continue. Yeah, that's, but that's a, no, I'm happy for the interjections and I feel like that is definitely part of the problem that we, universally, the world has relied on a particularly white, westernized version of history to kind of guide them on what is right and normal. So, for example, right here in the UK today, obviously it's Father Day, Father's Day as well, and, um, Somebody put up a picture, no, the Conservative, sorry, the Conservative Party, the, the you know, centre-right party of the UK, put up a picture of a black father with his mixed-race son saying Happy Father's Day. Now, the entire comments were like, why could we not put up a white father? What's going on? Diversity is going crazy. All of this stuff. White fragility is crazy. And That's I think crazy. with more education, they're so they're so used to only seeing white people as like the race that should be talked about in the media or through music or all these other like methods like white fragility needs to be dismantled and i'm not gonna lie for a lot of generations it's probably too late but if we change the education system tomorrow those kids who are growing up and learn of some of the greatness of blackness rather than just negative slave history and you know uh just like just pain and trauma we've been through then perhaps they'll look at black people more e equally because they'll see the the greatness that we've we've been through, like that we have in our history. It's not something that's new. It didn't exist when you know when the NBA started and when rap became a commercial music. It's the same way that like there's people who don't like rap music, but they think Eminem's talented, and they don't realize that's because Eminem is white, so they find him easy to digest. And there's people who listen to rock music because they think it's a white genre. They don't even understand mm -hmm. that, you know, rest in peace, little Richard, like rock music was a genre. Again, Chuck like tap dancing, right. tap dancing was invented by, by black people. But if I go and start tap dancing tomorrow, people might be like, why is it in that, that quote unquote white thing that there's so many racial boundaries because we allow certain elements of history to be taken and co-opted and to be said to belong to one person or one race. So yeah, part two is education reform. Sorry, this, this is quite long. No, I've been thinking about it. this we a lot it. recently. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, Professor Scully, Professor yeah. Scully is good. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
number three, I think we need to commit to ending health and wealth disparities. So the fact that we know, like, you know, that in terms of wealth, if you look at the richest people in the world, the top hundred rich people in the world, I don't think there's a mm. single black person on there. Like, if there is, there, it's literally like two or three. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the genetic makeup of the world, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if there was real equality, there would be, you know, like, 20 South Asian people, 20 East Asian people, 20 black people, 20, uh, you know, UK and US people, 20 Eastern Europeans. Like, that would be a diverse list. That would make sense. It would, it would show that everybody across the world has the same opportunities. The list doesn't reflect that because of the disparities we have in infrastructures, which lead us to only reach a certain ceiling of wealth. Mm-hmm. And these same, these same ceilings impact our own health. And we see it here in the UK when it comes to the way that COVID-19 has disproportionately affected the black community, US too. but also the Asian community. And yet they're in the US and also you see it in the US in the way that like, you know, the average salary for a home in the UK, the average salary for a black home is mm. 23,000. But how many black kids are doctors and lawyers? And all this? How, why is this disparity still mm. going on? It doesn't make any sense. So this needs to end because once we end it racially, we can begin to look at it at a, cl- at, at a class level. And once we can look at it at a class level, we can kind of start to unravel the myth of, you know, uh, capitalism being the greatest system that is going to help us because as long as capitalism exists, there will always be an underclass. And as long as there's an underclass, there will always be disparities. And as long as there's disparities, people want someone to put the disparities onto. And because we've been at the bottom for so long, they're going to keep trying to push it onto black people. Mm-hmm. So the reality is we need to start dismantling some of the systems that we live within and think, yo, like, what can we do better? How can we make this not exist? So yeah. Let's link up with black people and then working class people will be with you next in it. But <laughs> chill, chill. Let us get our thing done first and then we'll, fi- we'll fix it. We'll fix the world. Nah, I love it, bro. I, I did <laughs> I a little it. fact check. Yeah, I, did, I did a little fact check while you were talking with the top 100 richest people in the world. And mm-hmm. just look at it. Yeah, you're right. There's not one black person on there. And then there are only six black billionaires in the United States. So we do have work to Very do. Real. I want to pick up on one thing that um, Scully touched on as well, which I think, especially in the UK, which is maybe different to the US or other regions, um, that makes it particularly difficult, especially right now dealing with COVID, dealing with things like this, is because it's that intersection of Mm -hmm. um, racism and classism where in the UK, because we have so much more government-owned systems, so for example, there's a lot more black people working in quote unquote government, but it's because all of these things are nationalized. So because we have nationalized healthcare, it's a, it's an, it's a national system. So a lot of the, the nurses and, and doctors and people like that, that we have are ethnic minorities. Whereas in the U S because it's capitalized, it's about it profit making. There's far less of them there, but ours, because mm-hmm. it's almost, it's free at a point of access. So actually you're just working for the government. You're not getting regular pay rises. It becomes something where you know, it's mostly black people on the front lines and, and filling up all the customer facing roles. But then when things like this happen, when things like COVID happens, it's when you suddenly realize that actually, when you look at the hierarchy of the NHS, for example, which has it, I think it's what the civil service in general is the biggest employer in the UK. So that's, it's the government basically is the, is our biggest employer and the NHS is mm. part of that. Um, but when you look at the breakdown, you realize that all the white people, because they have the top jobs, when it breaks down to having lockdown and things like that, those are all office jobs. So actually all those people that are at the top are at home. They're not in hospitals. Mm-hmm. So while they might be the top healthcare people, mm-hmm. they're not doing any of the real work. The people doing the real work are all the people that are quote unquote at the bottom, which is all pure ethnic minorities. And so that's why they're on the front line. And that also adds to them being you know more uh, disproportionately affected by things like this and and also then you know it makes you realize that okay so even when things go back to normal it it then kind of reconditions your mind to realize how much more these people have to face and how much how different their experiences are from everyone else's because it's not all one big thing and so i think that's another thing that's super difficult when Mm. um especially when you have a lot of these nationalized systems there's a lot of 
black and ethnic minority people that end up kind of stuck at the bottom in these systems and you don't really see how different their experiences are to their white counterparts who have slightly different types of roles. And I think one thing you touched on there is you talked about us, you know, working low jobs, but even when we get to stages where we work higher jobs, due to the way the office politics are, yeah, it's stuff like we could work in an office and let's say there's 20 people in the office and two of them are black. Uh, it, it could be the black people that are rushed back to the office to do the hands on foot to foot work. And they might not want to argue because they want to lose their job, but like mm. no one else is being rushed back. You get what I'm saying? So uh-huh. they're directly putting their lives more at danger and are more at risk and more likely to carry that back to their family. Black people are in every area of the world are more likely to live in, you know, housing where they share. First of all, culturally, we're going to share housing with our family, which is why it is disproportionately affecting all ethnic minorities in the UK. Because uh-huh. culturally, we love to share with our family. So like our grandparents might be in the house and then, you know, grandkids and all of this stuff and then on top of that because of the wealth disparity you know we're living in smaller housing housing that has more grouped together stuff like blocks of flats so it can travel up and down there even quicker it's just so many elements of it like it's it's crazy man it's crazy we need to get out of this we need to get out of this no this this thing the world's person man and scully you know what this is really why we were so excited to get you on here so what's next for you personally um and what's next for the brand man what's coming up me personally i want to keep so my whole thing is um i want to like i said control the narrative for myself in stories i wish to tell and i'm obsessed to pop culture so that's film music uh tv all of this stuff and like one day i want to write a tv show but like one day i want to write an anime and i want to score a film and like there's all these things um that i want to do in life and i guess the main thing is creating spaces where i can be creative and tell stories without feeling hindered by red tape and bureaucracy so i want to push productions i'm going to do productions with no signal and my very own production company and i want to be uh an anthropologist who uses media to to talk about culture like i have been doing with you guys right and one of my biggest heroes is i want to be somewhere between anti bourdain and Jesus america like, mm. i want to bring you into my world but also show you other worlds at the same time like i loved how bourdain would go to places like Cond- congo and then go to new york and both places he would just look comfy like that's that's me i want to be comfy on any ends and tell the story that those ends have and why why we're all re- related like i think there's i think there's great communicators in life right so like everybody relates to certain things and like music is one of them that's the one i communicate other people the culture about like we can get into these deep conversations about police reform and racial injustice and like the sociological plight of black people at the moment because of the way I've talked to you guys through the medium of music. And there's for Anthony Bourdain, it was food, right? For some people, it's like sport. Like there's a primal part of us where we love like relationships and sex. And that's chat. Like that's how Aloni communicates to a large amount of people. Somebody who you mentioned earlier, right? So I feel like my job is to use the elements of pop culture that I'm familiar with to communicate and smooth over these kind of disparities and these gaps that we feel and and hopefully hopefully god willing i get to continue doing that on bigger platforms some of them i've made myself some of them i collaborate with hopefully you'll be seeing more of me in many many places in many many forms uh books tv podcasts all of this stuff it's all coming in terms of no signal like i said we're going to continue growing as a black owned radio station curating uh stories content media whether that's football basketball um music agony art stuff uh you know whatever we want just content for not just this generation but hopefully the next and the next archiving and curating content for black people by black people that's the aim no i really love that man i love it brother nice love it 
Love it. And just so I just one thing you said, like, that's what we're trying to do here with travel as well. Like, I really love that you latched on to that, that, you know, everyone tells the stories through the vehicle or through the medium that they know. And the goal is the same. And we're with you, bro, because it's the same over here for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, before I go, let me ask you guys some questions. Can I do that? Sorry, no, I'm an no, interviewer, sure. so. Yeah, go ahead. I'm you. So, um, what's everyone's favorite place to travel to? Where, where, where's your favorite place you've been? In fact. All right. So I'll go first then. Um, my favorite place to travel, I'm going to be honest. My favorite place to travel to is Brazil, man. That's the best place I've ever been to just in terms mm-hmm. of like the comfortability of, of, I felt what I felt there. People in Brazil love all the things I love. They love beach football, like all that stuff, man. I just loved it there. Honestly, mm-hmm. the different shades of blackness that you just see all over the place. But Obviously, I'm a West African boy, so I always feel at home when I go to West Africa in December. So that's, that's going to be my answer. Lovely. That's amazing. All right, I'll go next. One, obviously, before Tiffany now comes to say China, but I actually did want to say um, Japan, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Japan, just from the perspective that I feel like, see, this is how Tiffany always began at me. But legitimately, just because, first of all, because I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. I visited probably like four or five cities there. So like Tokyo, Kyoto, a few others. But I think also just I was surprised at how friendly people were and how people would just, you know, come up to you. They'll invite you. I remember I was in Hiroshima. We were literally just walking around. And then we bumped into these like this businessman and his wife and his friend. And they were like, oh, you guys should come drinking with us. Then we went to to karaoke, just like with complete strangers that I just met on the street. So I think from that perspective, in terms of like how friendly I found people there, as well as how cool it was, I think that was a, a really cool mix. Amazing. I really want to go to Japan. Um, um, oh God. <laughs> now, see, now you're getting people who want to follow behind you. Come on, David. You're supposed to be inspiring people to come to Africa. You got someone to go to China oh and Europe. No, nah, hey, I mean, I, I would have said um, like Tanzania. Tanzania, that's probably another one. But, you know, I've used up my, my shot. It's okay. It's okay. Let me not bully you. But so I would say favorite city in the world is Lalibela in Ethiopia because it's definitely Ethiopia is the chosen land in my opinion the feeling I receive when there when I'm there and to Lalibela you have the only um monuments or buildings in the world that's built from the top going down it's just something that's so I can't even explain but like I would say magical about uh, Ethiopia and more specifically Lalibela. My favorite island, um, aside from Jamaica, is um, Lamu, Kenya, where I'm at now. Definitely another magical place. Um, beautiful, energy amazing. Uh, no cars, less pollu- less pollution, more grounded. And then I would say Lesotho. Lesotho is also a very beautiful country. Like, you know, we went skiing in Africa in the mountains in Lesotho. So I would say all three of mine are in Africa, but Costa Rica is definitely on the top of the list. But Ethiopia, Lalibela more specifically, Lamu, Kenya, and Lesotho. Nice. That's some good answers. They're very good answers. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to traveling like as soon as this whole lockdown corona thing COVID-19 is done COVID-19 is probably cancelled 2020 but 2021 I'm out of here where would you say is like the first place that you'd want to go as soon as things open back up I was supposed to go to Barcelona the week the UK lockdown Mm. oh really I was just going to pick that back up and go to Barcelona I really want to see Messi play football live (laughs) bro I've seen him twice Hold on, I've seen I've seen Messi play live twice, bro, in the World Cup. Oh, that's yeah. heartbreaking. Like I need that. I need that. Um, so probably gonna go straight to um Barcelona. There's a couple places in Europe I want to tick off because I I've traveled a bit, but I feel like I haven't done enough of Europe. So I've done like I've really enjoyed uh Prague and I've really enjoyed I went to Croatia and I've really enjoyed um Budapest as well. 
But like I haven't done like Rome, I haven't done Barcelona, I haven't done Paris, which is like the most obvious ones, right? Right. Like I've, I've gone to like the further side of Europe, which is weird. <laughs> but like, so I want to get those ones off now. So I want to get Paris, Barcelona, and Rome off. And then Japan is like a big one for me. Like I need to go to Japan soon. Mm. ASAP. Interesting. Let me ask you something uh, real quick. So how did you feel being in Eastern Europe? Because you just said, you know, you named like three Eastern European cities. Obviously, you liked it. if you went back there, like, were you were you welcomed? Well, like, how did you feel as a black man being in Eastern Europe? So every time my friend suggested it, I had to Google it. And I was like, how racist is this place? <laughs> and um, They all came back. They passed the test. It was all like, you know, if you're the capital city, you're calm. So I was like, cool, I can go. Um, Actually, Budapest was really nice. I highly recommend it. I would love to go back. Even Prague was really that. You know what? Yeah, I didn't feel any overt racism instantly. And I guess that's because capital cities all over the world are obviously the most metropolitan, most liberal part of any place. You know what I'm saying? Like, whenever you're in a capital city in any country, that's probably where the least racism is mm -hmm. in that place. Mm -hmm. um, on the way to, so I went to a festival in Croatia. And on the way there, when I was going through border control, they were a little bit racist. So I was with my friend who is half South Asian, half Indian. And um, so he, obviously he tans and looks very Indian in the sun. And um, so we were very like, he was very tanned. And they assumed that we were drug trafficking, but we were getting a shared like taxi cross country with these two white women. And uh, they took the white <laughs> women aside and questioned them. And they were like, yo, we know you're these two's drug mules. Uh, give up the drugs and tell them like <laughs> oh, that's crazy. tell them to give them real passports what it is and we were laughing like in the taxi like yo like this is so mad because you know we're passing through border control and they haven't tried to search us like they've actually taken the two white girls out how crazy is that like we're all thinking like this is reverse racism we're like wow we've won like this is so crazy why are they taking the white women out and then they came back to the taxi and they're like yeah we just got questioned and we're like what and they're like well they think we're your drug mules and we're like Oh, so that's why they're not questioning us yet. They're trying to build the case. That's crazy. But, um, <laughs> that's actually mad. Obviously, it was all sorted in a bit. They did some like background checks and that. They're like, okay, you guys are actually like, you work in music in the UK. We can actually Google you and see you on YouTube and stuff. <laughs> like, you can, you're free to go to this festival. But like, other than that, yeah, those places I listed, I didn't really see any other forms of racism, which was, I was genuinely surprised. I was, I was scared each time before I went there. I'm not going to lie. But, um, I guess the worst thing about traveling as a, as a black person is that there is, except when you go to the West Indies and Africa, pretty much wherever else you're going to go, racism is going to be prevalent enough to be able to be a part of your journey. Mm -hmm. So it is really making sure you're with the right people in the right locations and like, I don't know, just enjoy your life in it. But like, that, that's not to say there's not problems when you go other places, but yeah. I'm unfortunate. I'm unfortunate. I'm I wouldn't say I face too much racism on my travels in life. Well, literally on my travels in life, I've, I I face more racism. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no, nah, I got you, bro. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's one interesting thing that I actually say, um, especially from my perspective. So I've probably been to, I think, well, still just, well, I say just, but I've been to like forty countries now. But it's the fact that I can't lie. As much as I've definitely had racist, racist experiences in lots of countries, but you get so much of it at home. Like <laughs> I get so much of it here yeah. that realistically going yep. anywhere else, it's not even the same in comparison or it's, it, it can even be tamer. And, and also it doesn't affect yep. you as much because I can just walk away. Like if I go to a restaurant and someone's moving mad, I'll just go to another restaurant. Whereas here, if, if you're mm -hmm. at home and I think that's what it, that's what makes it hurt a bit more. If you're in the UK, and then you're getting something in a restaurant that is, is different mm. because yeah, I, I, I don't have the same mindset like, Oh, I, I just, I'm just going to get up and go somewhere else. Like you actually want to deal with it because here is somewhere where as much as, you know, lots of people do happen to be racist. Like I don't want to accept that that is the norm. Mm, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And it's a weird one, but, yeah, don't let the fear of racism stop you from traveling. That's one thing I'll say before I go because, yeah, 
damned if you do, damned if you don't. Go out, see the world, man. Seeing the world will put so much stuff in perspective. But doesn't it make you feel a little bit a little bit funny contributing your money to an economy that doesn't or to a place that doesn't want you there? So if it's you that, walk into a restaurant, that's not me paying tax here in the UK, though. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Mm. I pay tax. You don't have an option. Yeah, to but, like, pay taxes, but you have an option not to support an establishment or support. Paying tax in the UK is the same as like paying VAT in a restaurant in uh, Greece or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Like either way, I'm paying to be black, so I might as well do it somewhere sunny. <laughs> it's true. I, yeah, that's true. Like I don't, I don't think. Like you said, so directly to your point about like contributing to uh, an establishment that doesn't want me here. I think living within Britain in 2020, I am consistently contributing to a society that has made it clear that they do not want me here. So I do not care about traveling to any place in the world and giving to a restaurant and the owner's done something racist in his past. Like I live in a country which has racism ingrained in its past. Mm. <laughs> so it's the same stuff everywhere. But see, that's one thing that's kind of come up to an extent before, just because again, I think we've, other black people in the diaspora i do feel like as much as maybe sometimes you're made to feel not welcome there is a more of a sense of belonging so for example black people in the u.s i feel like i'm I'm not in the u.s but especially my friends there like you still consider yourself an american and that's why you're demanding to be treated the same as any other american because you that's who you are right like you're an american so you should be treated like everyone else whereas here especially because i mean i wasn't born here but I'm British, but at the same time, like I've seen how they treat other people. We had the wind, windrush scandal, windrush scandal. Like I've seen them take people that have lived here their whole lives that have never been outside of the UK and just deport them and send them to Jamaica or send them somewhere that they've never been before. And and that to me is crazy. But then again, it's one of the realities of being in the UK where as much as that you could have lived here your whole life, you can feel just as British as anyone else. You could have gone to school here. All your friends are here. And then one day in the middle of the night, they can just pick you up and send you to some black country across the world. Just like that. And and Mm. yeah, that's what's crazy to me. And that's one thing where, because even with that situation, with the Windrush thing, the, the, the scariest part of that for me was the fact that it wasn't like these are undocumented immigrants or da da da. They're supposed to have papers and then one day they were just like, oh, we've, we've deleted your papers or we've lost it or we've, we've lost the records that say that you're allowed to be here. Like, huh? Like, how can mm-hmm. you live here your whole life? Mm-hmm. And then the government said, we have lost the record that says you are allowed to be here. And so we're going to remove you, even though you've mm-hmm. never left the country before. That's crazy. So that's why, like, that's wild. Yeah. It's mad, man. It's mad. Like, we, they probably don't rate us. So. Yeah, like I said, it is, it is. It's a minor for me. Like, I'm so used to not being rated by a country. How can I be worried about going to another country and not being rated? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, the UK, the US, all these places. Like, this is why I say racism is so insidious. And we do this thing where we compare the racism countries. So, like, in the UK, people be like, well, you know, we're less racist than other places. Cool. You're still racist. Like, that house can be 80% on fire and this house can be 40% on fire. I'm still burning. Mm, like, right, right, right. It doesn't matter. So, yeah, it's it's a mad one. But like I said, don't let the fear of racism stop you traveling and seeing the world because there's so much beautiful stuff out there, man. I love it. Definitely. Uh, well, I guess we're going, well, we can go on and on about, the, <laughs> <laughs> about racism and feeling welcome and different countries because i feel as if you're welcomed in africa you spend mm. come and spend your money invest in africa all throughout africa you're welcome and uganda i know you say that when you're in uh, london you're a ugandan and when you're in Ugandan, uganda you're in london i i understand what you're what you're saying that but in a sense you're still an african and you can wholeheartedly say that and one thing i love that you mentioned is about in um, america black people are fighting for a place that is not theirs it will never i don't think personally i don't think it will ever reach a point where those who do not want 
black people in America will come to an understanding and say, you know what? Okay, you guys are welcome now. Let's live in equality and let's all sing Kumbaya and, you know, live together life happily ever after. We will never reach that point because America is not for Africa. Africa, I mean, America is not for Africans. Africa is for Africans. So we will never reach that point. I think we're we're fighting for the wrong things. Honestly, that's going back to the first initial when you when you uh, talk talk about um segre- segregation, separate but equal. Was it a wrong thing? Was it anything wrong to say? Okay, actually, we want to integrate and we want to go into schools, but now we're receiving a, a lesser education in certain communities because of X, Y, and Z. Now we're putting the control of education in other people's hands as, a, as opposed to saying, okay, let's do the separate but equal, and then we control our schooling and how our children are raised. Entirely different stories. So I don't know if we're going to continue this conversation or if we're going to close out with the big tune. Um, let me, I just want to speak on that real quick before I give you my big tune, right? So, um, I understand and agree to an extent, but I think that we have a big myth about going home and spending our money there. So I agree that we should be building the infrastructure of you guys, of Africa, sorry, and like making it better. So future generations live better and, you know, down to stuff like sports. So our countries can be represented better in Olympics and in the world cup and all these other things. And, you know, financially so that we can build our own hubs. I think that is something we should do, but I also think that we look at it with almost a white savior complex, but like, not white because we're not white right so like we look at it like well we come from the west and we've got all this technology and we've got all this money flowing so let's go home and fix the problems but it's like we can't actually just go and do that and when we do have that conversation we kind of ignore a lot of the problems that exist there anyway so such as like the rampant corruption mm-hmm. and like the reason why the infrastructure isn't growing is because the people in power at the moment are not they do not have the best interests of the continent at heart there's Oh, there's so much, there's so much going on that we kind of overlook every other problem that is going on in Africa to be like, well, let's just move back there. And, um, cause racism doesn't exist, but yo, there's, there's bare problems there as well. And I don't think it's as simple as let's move back because in a sense, in a sense, although we are black and even in a sense, although we do belong there in some ways, we'll be gentrifying our own, our own roots. <laughs> like, like what we're gonna do move back to africa and like build starbucks in every corner because we missed them like we need to we need to understand that they've got their way of doing things that, and they they want to bring themselves forward in a way that is more akin to them as opposed to because when we talk about africa catching up with the rest of the world we make it seem like we want it to be like that with the rest of the world it shouldn't it should be like africa but in a more sustainable way for you know these health uh, these wealth and health disparities that i was talking about earlier so, yeah, it's a very complicated, nuanced subject, but let's say no more about it today. I need to, uh, I need to let you guys continue and stop, stop ranting about social. <laughs> no, <economics>. we love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we love it, bro. This is an interesting conversation, though, and yeah, this is an interesting conversation. But I do, I do agree with you regarding with the the uh, romanticizing everyone moving to Africa, but I do think we should start having that conversation and start planning and coming up with initiatives and plans, especially for Africans in the diaspora to start investing mm. and linking and working with creatives on the continent as well. Not not moving to Africa to save Africa, but linking with creatives and those and with the same, you know, uh, in the same field of interest, start working together and seeing what can happen. But I definitely think a plan needs to, you, you need to have a plan prior to moving anywhere. Mm. I do agree with you. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But thank you guys for having me on. Nah, this thanks so good. much for coming. Man. I've enjoyed talking yeah, to you guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, yes. My big tune, right? So I've got to give you guys a big tune. I didn't know so I was originally going to go with a song based around a place that I haven't been to but I'd love to go and I was going to go with Drake from Florida with Love but then I was like yo Drake Drake is big and um he gets played enough so he doesn't need me to to bring your listeners into Drake like who cares so um let me rep South London like I always do 
with another song that has a title of a place that I'd love to go to. And um, obviously, Americans, you're kind of taken back during it. So obviously, it came from Chicago. Then, you know, London took it back. And now you guys are trying to take it back to New York. But we're still really killing it here in London. And we're at... This song has that Bayou Funk element, so like the Brazil thing, G Day, like that. It's got so much. There's so many layers to this song in it. So, yeah, it's called Memphis. It's by a cool guy called Blanco, who's yes. part of an amazing dual group called Harlem Spartans. Probably one of my favorite songs right now. This is yeah, this is wavy. That's what it is. That's what it is. Well, brother, we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you. We're here to support you. We're here to support your mission. You're welcome back. Please come back on any time, man. We we love you, man. Thank you. Honestly, just invite me. I feel like I've talked to you guys for ages. There's, like, I'm very happy to come back whenever you want. Uh, if there's any way I can help you guys, anything I can do, it's 100%. love. Like, just shout me out. All right, all right, y'all. Peace. You was desperate for the guest list. Not in Memphis, I'm in Tennessee. Free H, triple times, no pedigree. Assist with a crime and accessory. Both with the muscles and need the necessity. All in the night when he can key. And he brought tools to the fight with an energy. I don't need friends, I got family. So down my leg in the cab, final fantasy. Copycat shoes in the Sharingan. Stay in your lane, I ain't arrogant. Free ST to the Sharingan. Great impact on the field, top talisman. Was all can afford, Harrison Ford. Think of focus, I'm intelligent. He and Bang Wap see a celebrate. New mash, I would Go cause it's delicate. Distraction team from the parcel run through doors like the cashier's castle. Need a duchess like the Marco, old one stepping on toes with a tassel. Bones broken from the sparkle, trash babies, we ain't walking on marble. Thank you for joining us on Travel and Turn Up. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review. Find more information about any topics or destinations discussed by following us on social media. Search Travel and Turn Up. That's T-A-R-V-E-L-N-T-U-R-N-U-P on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook. Travel more, say less.